It's not about who's right and who's wrong. It's all about how we all handle these situations and empathize and listen and work to address these challenges together and de-escalate situations and create a more valuable relationship with our customers by doing so. Strong companies, lasting partnerships, powerful events. Welcome to the Experience Builders Podcast. Chris, uh, we're recording this just as our episode on unique selling propositions, USPs, went live. And we're talking to somebody who has a USP centered around service. How did you meet Julie? Uh, you know, it started with industry functions. And as I became more in service to the EDPA, you start paying attention to the other uh, leadership of other associations that um, part of the same community. Um, it took about three Google seconds to notice Julie and um, the contribution. She's she's. She's got a voice and she's not afraid to use it. And I just, things that I was hearing her talk about, I was like, this is a person I need to be, get closer with. And uh, so we, we met um, really around campus at some of the big industry uh, conferences and sales meetings. Great, great. And, you know, we're going to talk to her a little bit about creating a service culture uh, throughout this episode, but uh, you, you've, you both spoke about our last, one of our recent episodes, uh, Grow With No, and how that's really almost even contrary to this idea. Uh, Julie, I'd love to, welcome to the show, by the way. Glad that you're here. Uh, I want to hear a little bit about how that episode resonated with you and even like gave you a completely different mindset around certain problems that arise. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah. So it's funny because I was telling Chris, I reached out right after and I come up, I came up from four seasons and one of their guiding lights is always never say no, no matter mm -hmm. what you do, you never say the word. No, we don't <laughs> want to hear you say the word. No, you provide options. So as soon as I saw that headline pop up, I had to watch the podcast. And I think that what looking Chris to tear it apart, about, probably. Right. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> you do not say no. Nervous. My heart started beating. My programming was all in disarray. Um, but no, what you talked about in that episode, I thought was really important because you cannot say yes to everything and you're not serving anybody properly if you do so. So I loved that you addressed something that I think people need to hear being said and being said that it's okay to say no. And there's um, amazing business reasons for both you and your customer to do so. But then I thought, well, I think we can expand on this conversation to talk about, yes, you know, how do you say no in different ways and really leaning more into the service culture that can be elevated within our industry. Mm. I think sometimes people feel like you need to be wearing, you know, a suit and white gloves and to be providing service, but it doesn't matter what you're wearing and what role you're in from the boardroom to the break room providing that service and creating a service culture falls on all of us. So I wish I could have been in the room when you listened to that because Khalil, what she's not saying is she picked up the phone right after to call me when she, and <laughs> you know, I get the intercom from the receptionist going, press off that Julie Keggy on one. She's insisting <laughs> on holding. And I'm going, Oh, okay. What have I done? But 
you're I loved your point. You said there should be a part two because once you say yes to the right kind of customer, and Khalil and I talked about that in the mm. episode, then there's all kinds of reasons to learn how to say no with grace and to help save your customer or to teach your cut. You know, we, we, and yeah. so there is a, you're absolutely right. There's a class on how to say no without saying no. Right. And that's yeah. probably what you, you were trained on, Juliet, at Four Seasons. You had mentioned, oh, sorry, go ahead, Julie. I was going to say, and it's carried me through my career in the trade show industry. It's been one of the most fun things I had when I first came in was I felt like there was a little bit of this is the way it is and like it or don't like it. And so immediately I was able to start working with our exhibitor services team on changing that perception and shifting that culture to it's not our way or the highway. And working on that service culture, and it was one of the most satisfying things then and still is to this day. So I'm really excited to get to talk about it. Yeah. You had mentioned, Julie, as we were preparing for this, that there was kind of a shift culturally more you know, macro level of the perception of service after COVID. Um, maybe tell us a little bit more about that and kind of your perspective. Well, so I've, again, I've grown up in hospitality, whether it's hotels, restaurants, you name it, I've been there and I've done that. And we always had the mantra, the customer is always right. We all remember when that was the mantra. I think it's interesting that after COVID with short staffing and so wait times are up, service levels are maybe dropping and people are getting frustrated and they're voicing those frustrations, hence the birth of Karen, right? The birth of the Karen, what's the male version, Mikhail? Um, Brandon. But the- Yes. Well, one of those. I'm not sure. Um, I'm refusing to comment on that. But um, but yeah, hence the birth of that. And then there was this shift, right? We saw this shift where it was okay to push back. People were getting excited to get a Karen and to put that person in their place. And man, I don't mean to badmouth Karens. I think they're getting a bad rap. But um, that person will say and to tell them, no, you don't get to demand that of me. You know, the restaurants, the hotels, the service industry is trying to protect their staff from these outbursts. But in some cases, it's their service level changed. People still had high expectations and everybody needed to adjust. So you felt that pendulum swing the other direction where customer can be wrong now. Customer's not always right. And it's okay to tell them so. And I think it's time to kind of settle somewhere in the middle. And it's not about who's right and who's wrong. It's all about how we all handle these situations and um, empathize and listen and work to address these challenges together and de-escalate situations and create a more valuable relationship with our with our customers by doing so. So um, I know I said that all really politically correctly, but we saw it. No, you no. saw a thousand of those memes, right? People telling yeah, them to get totally. out of their restaurant, this and that. And I'm watching that with horror. Like in what world? Again, it goes against all of my programming to do that. Yeah. I think it's time to it's time to, you know, settle in the middle where we're in partnership with all of our customers. Again, from the boardroom to the break room, it doesn't matter who they are. Yeah. You know, there's, we're in a really hard industry for service because events are notorious for being one of the most challenging areas to serve in. There's so many variables. There's a very strict deadline and timeline. Usually deadlines are fairly arbitrary. Like I need that project done by Friday. But no, literally the event is happening. So we need this in place. Uh, there's a lot of investment happening from the exhibitor side. I mean, so many things are going on that you have to be of service to. How do you manage being of service in 
those really challenging and high tense situations. I love that you said that because we do all ultimately serve the exhibitor and the attendee, right? And it's important to remember that. I think the most important thing is to listen and empathize. People Mm -hmm. go into a situation with a preconceived notion. This guy wants to carry his freight and he can't do that. Go tell him no. And they send somebody to go tell them no or to go tell them why they can't hang that, why they can't this. You know, work rules are even written. You can't do this. Okay, well, maybe let's not focus on telling them no right off the bat. First, let's hear and let's empathize. If you spent millions and hundreds of thousands of dollars to bring that booth in and you got there and were told no and that moment and you're panicked, you've flown there, you've shipped, you have all this cost and expense and expectations that's immediately deflating and raging and causes a very high stress situation. So I think the first thing is to listen and empathize, hear what's going on. And then for me, the next biggest part is don't assume you know what you're going to say. Actually hear the person and be ready to change what you were going to say. Don't go in with it set in stone. I'm going to go tell this person no, and that'll be that. Listen, hear, and then try and come up with a solution. Ultimately, that's what we have to do to to diffuse, not only diffuse the situation, because that's not what it's about, but it's get that to the finish line, help that exhibitor, customer, whoever it might be, achieve their goals. And in doing so, if you can listen, empathize and be ready to pivot, it's amazing what you can accomplish. And frankly, it's very easy. And that pivot might not be changing what was going to ultimately happen. It might be just pivoting how you respond to the situation and expressing that empathy. Like, I hear you. That must be really frustrating. All right, let's run through the options of what we can do. Here are the options. And there's always more than one option. You know, yeah. they might not like all the options. That's right. But in presenting them, at least you're letting them be part of the process. And then you're creating empathy for them to understand your situation as well. Yeah. You know, you can't can I, just hang that. No, I was going to say I'm wondering, this is such great, I love this conversation. It's great information. I'm thinking about the expectations that brand side representative has when they show up to their event to be part of that move in. And, you know, my experience is very often that is, I don't know, you know, I don't know if this is still the current term, but the, the white collar executive, somebody who's a high level person at their company, um, and that could be a marketing manager. It could be a, the chief marketing officer, right? But, but they're used to working off of a plan and people doing, you know, and, and executing and things happening in that building for, on their team and their staff. And now they're transported to this on-site remote location, which is much different. And yet they're coming in with the mindset of, I'm in charge of this. I've just spent, like you said, six figures or whatever it is on this. On this event, I made a couple of notes um, just before we started here on what I would call tension builders, things that I see on the show floor that, and I just wonder if they, first of all, who sets their expectations about what to expect? Because if you're thinking it's just going to go perfectly according to what your written playbook is, that's just not the industry we're in. So these are the things, tell me if, if you recognize these. So on site delays. Things move slower on your five-day move-in for your, whether it's your private event or it's the CES show, right? There are a lack of answers everywhere because there's so much happening. Um, something is either broken, damaged, or missing. And 
and and we you know you don't know why um it's not what i was told i i've i've heard that from those um brandside representatives that show up um ps personal thought is not necessarily a good idea to have them show up on day one of a three-day or four-day move-in. They're just going to be really frustrated. The on-site conditions are different than what they expect. Um, it might be Infocom show in Orlando in June, and it is 105 degrees and humid in that hall, and everybody's crabby in that moment. It could be a rainy day. It could be that you are. There's a big fat column at the corner of your space blocking view, and you didn't know that. There, there's a lot of things on site that can uh, be surprising. Wrong expectations. Um, competitive stakeholders. We talked about that earlier. About um, you know, it's it's the it's the sharks and the jets. It's the Hatfields and the McCoys. On it could be electricians and EACs. It could be AV and furniture people. It could be generals. Uh, contractors and wh whomever um the reality is and we all know this um 53 percent of professionals that work in our industry the business event space globally are no that means poor labor new labor or not enough labor and all that again just adds to the to the mix so um long way to say could could but the people that are, are talking to those exhibitors, the last ones, maybe it's the exhibit house, maybe it's the agency, should they be doing a better job setting expectations about that move-in and move-out experience to help um, lessen the need to say no more, or uh, you know, or 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 to to diffuse the tension? Is there is there something that could be done beforehand to make it a better situation? I mean, so again, coming from the contractor world, if been in the shoes where we've worked to address that. We have, you know, educational pre-sessions. There's this ginormous show. We try to tell people all of these things. The problem is it's like dropping somebody off from a spaceship on an alien planet a lot of times. There's so much and so many variables. And whether it's the CEO who is now a complete fish out of water in this situation or the new exhibit manager who's never done this before. And not only are we having a huge turnover in the workforce, it's the exhibit managers, too, that we're seeing a massive turnover and the, the highest number of first timers in this situation. So there's a ton of education that needs to happen. But it's a lot at once, like from the moment you arrive to understanding, you know, I know your truck's here, but you're not going to see what's on that truck till tomorrow, you know, and, and they're standing there going, but I'm here. I have people. I'm ready it is extremely hard to educate in all facets of that. And you learn really fast, but every single time there can be one other challenge issue. And then as you move venues, municipalities, jurisdictions, everything changes there too. And, or the show itself, you know, different layouts, different um, branding methods. So all of that changes. So yeah, I, I would say, Chris, I wish we could. But you can't learn Chinese overnight. You know, it's it's a whole no. immersive education that needs to happen. So there needs to be understanding that some of this is just going to continue happening. And that's, I think, where that empathy comes into place. Yeah. Like, have you, I understand have you found the worst time to try 
and educate them is in the heat of the moment on the show floor? Because most people are, I would agree. It's, it's a tough, I mean, but if you were to say to an exhibitor, who's like, we're going to go to the NAB show for the first time. And what's that going to be like? And Julie's, Julie's members at ESCA are responsible for building a 800,000 square foot or a million square foot shopping mall in five days, fully functioning mall in five days. The EDPA members, uh, clients are, are opening up a branch office for three days in that fully functioning mall. And the move in overlaps. And when I say fully functioning, and I always, I always will coach a brand about, listen, it really is like opening up a branch office. You're going to think about your electrical. And you're going to think about if you need running water. And then sometimes there's catering and lunch. And who are you going to staff it with? And um, how are they going to behave in this unique and unnatural environment where you're not, if you're salespeople, as an example, and you're used to seeing two to four clients a day if you're traveling to a city to make sales calls, well, you're going to do 200 three-minute presentations pretty much all the same, one right after another tomorrow. So how's your behavior change? And without some direction. So you have all of this first time stuff going on. And, and again, when you have marketing and C-level executives that are used to being the leaders and, you know, people listen and they're, they're more in control. And this is an environment where it's very difficult to be in control. Um, it, you know, the, the, our topic here is solving problems in difficult situations. And I think what we're doing is we're painting a picture of, it is a scenario ripe for difficult situations. Mm. And to, to Julie's point, man, is there anything that cuts through the noise and anger and frustration that an empathetic human being that is listening to you and says, we have, you know what? We have a couple of options here. They're not unlimited. Let's run through what they are. And so you can make a decision about the best way forward. And that is just yeah. music. And unfortunately we don't, to your point, Julie, I don't think there's enough of that. And I love the idea of let's let's get back to the service, the serve you culture. It's a privilege that they're there. The center of the circle for all of us, where all dollars emanate, is those exhibitors, right? The sponsors that come in there. And those are the ones we want to keep happy and coming back. And um, and we can't just be new employees and frustrated and be rude because, you know, maybe that new worker at the service desk is feeling overwhelmed. Um, that's, that's, well, that's on you, us. It's like cartoon, right? You can picture like Elmer Fudd getting all frustrated and he's turning red. And as you walk up, you have an opportunity to make his head explode and just ignite that bomb. Or you have an opportunity to try and diffuse. And it is an opportunity actually. And it's important to see it that way. So no, we can't train everybody on everything that's going to happen, but what we can do is train our people how to handle these incredibly tense, stressful situations. And I'll tell you what, I, I told you this, Chris, the other day that you go to a store and buy something and everything goes as planned. You picked your item out, you paid for it, you left. You never think about that transaction. It went exactly as expected, super boring. You're not telling friends about it. You know, I went to Walmart and bought this gallon of milk. It was great. You don't share that. But if you go to Walmart and you buy the gallon of milk and you get home and it's spoiled and you go back and you're in line at customer service and you're ready to tell them how mad you are at it and you get up there and 
they, oh my gosh, ma'am, I'm so sorry. Let me refund you and please go get another gallon yeah. of milk for the inconvenience of having to come back. I'm like looking around, like that was incredible. And now later on when I'm having a cocktail with my friends, I'm like, you guys aren't going to believe what happened at Walmart today. Now I'm sharing that experience and now you've created a promoter, which is what we want, right? You want to share that experience. So it's not about the problem. And frankly, People need to not shy away from the problem, the issue, or the concern. They need to see it as an opportunity. You can create a promoter, you can create a lifelong customer who says, I always want to go to shows where this person is the contractor, or this is my design builder, or, you know, this association in this city. It was an amazing experience. And generally, it started with a bad one, and you're able to turn it around. So it's a huge opportunity, and that is statistically backed. So, um, yeah. That's Khalil, a really great um, example. Note, and I note to, note to foul Khalil, Julie Keggy, Walmart shopper, please. <laughs> I picked Walmart out of all that. We it, now know that. We know that. One small supporter over here. I go to the local privately owned. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> one of the things I love about what you said is basically that the obstacle is the way oftentimes. How when there is a challenge in front of you, and you're having a customer who's upset, that's actually an opportunity to turn them into a promoter or a raving fan who really brings in new business for you even. Um, I think the same thing can be applied to our low labor is or issues that we have, where we're bringing in a lot of new people into the industry who have no experience and may not have the skill set um, to really solve the problems that are coming up uh, day in and day out. With that though, there's an opportunity there's an opportunity to change someone from the ground up to give to make sure you instill the right mindset from the the ground floor so that as you grow as a company your culture is a service-minded culture i want to dig a little bit more into that though and understand what are the nuts and bolts of creating a service-minded culture that is service first how do you actually do that where does it start i'll, I'll jump in i yeah. and obviously top down. That's like the no brainer and pat response. It's from the top down, but it, it's true. It is. It's even how you deal with your own team members, um, customers, et cetera, with, and you should look at your team members as customers as well. It, you know, when they have an issue, are you being empathetic? Are you listening? Do you understand what happened? So I always use the example of if somebody made a mistake and came to me and said, we really dropped the ball we did this, this is what happened, here's how we fix it. And you can tell they're like nervous, right? Especially the higher the dollar signs go on these types of mistakes, they're freaking out. And I'm usually like, okay, thanks for letting me know. And you know, they're wondering why I'm not mad. Well, you made a mistake, you identified the problem, you created the solution, and I know it's never gonna happen again based on this conversation, okay. You know, and it's that even just the way that you service your internal teams creates that. They also see how you act. They see how you behave. It's like when you go out to dinner with somebody you haven't been out to dinner with and you see how they treat the waitress or you're dating. I haven't dated in a while, but I hear this is a thing. And you watch how they treat the service staff. It shows you how they treat people. So absolute top down. And then it's about empowering them. Um, and the other part of it is, is that this promotes a city, a show, an event. And so as an association, if you put that messaging out about the service you want from the top down and you, you know, you go to a safety talk, you go to these and you tell people, listen, these people on the show floor are really important to me. They're important to us. Please know that you're reflective of all of us. And these are our expectations. So please treat them kindly. You know, yes, I know you don't know where the local zoo is if they ask you that or where the best restaurant is. 
but point them in our direction or tell them the zoo is two blocks away if it comes up because it's going to come up. And you engage from the top down in ways that you're empowering people and reminding them that they're reflective. That matters. And it, you know, kind of you see their shoulders go up and their head go up and they now feel like they're really part of the team and they feel like you're proud of them and you're proud that they're there. And that's reflective of how they treat people. I mean, again, I said I came from Four Seasons. My very first week at Four Seasons was um, in a training with everybody that started that month. So I had the new general manager, housekeeper, service staff, myself, you know, like everybody got the same message. You're all treated the same exact way because the expectation was the same for every single person. You know, that when you walk by, you make eye contact, you say good morning, good afternoon, good evening. You don't, you know, you do these things and it creates habits and it creates a culture. And the most important thing, you can buy all the tech you want. You can launch new branding, new marketing. Service is free. I don't know how to better say that. It is going to get you more customers, retain your customers, create promoters, and, and overall affect the entire work environment. We're in a workforce shortage. You want to keep the people you got. Yeah, exactly. Create, serve, culture, yeah. and it's free. It doesn't cost anything. Well, and, and the other thing, the Julie, how many times, how many friends do we have? How many companies do you know? Everybody, I don't know if they're still doing it, but I, everybody used to say, the reason I do business with our company, Mr. Customer, is because of our service, right? Well, the thing about service is, Usually something has to go wrong in order for you to prove that you've got great service to your point about taking the milk back to Walmart and how is it. So I, my people have heard from me for years, look, we're, we're in this, we're in a crisis management business and with the, for the environments that we just finished talking about for the last 15 minutes. I'm never freaked out when somebody says something went wrong at a show or move in. It's going to happen. I'm more concerned about how did we respond, right? Because that's, we're looking to prove that. Um, I, so back in the day, I used to work for um, a company called Skyline Exhibits. They had a great executive uh, who was running operations, a three young guy named Lanny Moline. Shout out to Skyline, shout out to Lanny. Um, but what he taught us is um, a concept of oneness, right? Because at the end of the day, those customers judge us as one. They don't see all the people at the service desk or the vendors or the carpet vendors or the graphic suppliers or the exhibit houses. CES was either great or Infocom sucked, right? It, they, they will judge us as one and it's one individual. Like, you know, it could be the security guard that was unsympathetic that they left their badge at their hotel and made them go down and wait in line for an hour or wouldn't let a note, another colleague come in. There's all kinds of things that can derail their experience, right? And to your point, um, what an opportunity, or Khalil's point, right? What an opportunity to get us all singing from the same hymnal. And um, for years, I, you know, I work in both Orlando and Las Vegas, and I live in both places. And I always used to say to my, my friends at the Orange County Convention Center here, we have our work cut out for us because, man, every cab driver that picks me up to the airport asks me about what show I'm in for and what am I doing for uh, an event that night and where am I going to dinner and do I want any recommendations? I'm like, oh, my good Lord, they are training the cab drivers on the experience, right? And it was, um, I said, that's tough to compete. But they get that there was 
you know, $7 billion a year in tax dollars, travel, traveler, business traveler tax dollars coming into, into Clark County. And uh, I think at the time, Orange County, uh, Florida was, was about a billion too. And both economies need that work. But um, man, you know, we had everybody pulling in the same direction. Pandemic knocked us off, uh, off balance, I think. But um, that's part of what our build back strategy has to look like. So Again, we're talking about solving problems in difficult situations, and um, I know this is not a quick fix to do this, but I'd ask you, Julie, is Eska talking about this in their company meetings with members? Are they? Are, are you guys? Is, are the members talking about ways to create oneness and sort of unite the the, the behavior that we're we're wanting to see everybody? In? You know. It's really funny you ask that. All right, I'm going to do like a full disclosure, let everybody see behind the curtain, right? So again, I'm officially a month into this new role with ESCA, and but I'm 22 years in the industry. Yeah, as I watch different things, you know, I'll give a shout out to Rachel Wimberly. She just moved over to MMA and is following something that's her passion. And, and I saw that in her. When yeah. people talk, you know, Ken Holzinger with Freeman, man. I just want to be in that guy's brain for a minute. He's so smart with his stats and his analysis, and that's clearly his niche. And I think for a while, I got really reactive to everything. I feel like I've been playing dodgeball for a couple of years, you know, just catching what's thrown at me. And what after I called you, I've spent some time thinking about it. And I'm like, man, this is my passion. This is something that's really important to me. So Again, behind the curtain. No, we haven't talked about it that much. We've been so focused on safety and workforce development and uh, advocacy and what's going on here and all this, that this is one of those things that, you know, we need to get caught up and then take a step forward and really start preaching this. Because when it comes to workforce development, when it comes to labor shortages, when it comes to rowing shows, events, whether it's geographically or not, this is something that we all have to do to do that. And I, I have I have a really great bad example, which I was at a show and there was a 10 by 10 booth and it was, but it was somebody that in other events is a big old double decker, they're pros. And this was a little event for them. They had a 10 by 10 with a table and they were just going to do some giveaways, one box. Yeah. That box, their whole world got lost. And so the person who went to deal with it kind of was like, sorry can't help you. I don't know what to tell you. Go get some stuff printed at Kinko's and kind of brushed them off. Mm -hmm. So, and I kind of heard about it because I had heard rumblings because the person was incredibly angry and very vocal. So come the end of the show, they do their exhibitor advisory board at the show right after the event. Yeah, of course, they're not just there. They're like the president of the exhibitor advisory board. I have to stand there from the contractor perspective while they're like, A, we never want to work with them. We never want to come to this city again. This and that. And like, and I will tell you, it affected the rotation of a show and future contracting selecting came up because of one little thing. So don't like think anything is not important and don't think that, we're not all in this together. So even when you talk about labor, they tend to be very regional. You know, you stay in your jurisdiction. So you want those shows to come back and really, you know, reduce the peaks and valleys and give you a steady workflow. Keep right. them coming back. Right. Understand that how you treat that person creates their entire experience in that city. They're right. going to say, you know, Las Vegas, Dallas, Chicago, whatever was this all based on talking to one person. And if we don't all realize that, 
that each and every one of us are their entire world, it's a miss. It's a miss. People will stop exhibiting, will stop coming. It's already really expensive. It's, we already talked about how complicated it is. You so and what's I, the you, and I, you and I are a couple of committees together. We know workforce development is is the buzz phrase. I think in every industry, it certainly is in ours. So we've talked about that, but we just, Khalil and I just did a podcast with uh, Professor Satchel Josephson out of Bemidji, who really is a great job on um, on the design that Rest that school. That Talk about that the outfit with the jacket. Well, you know, so he, you know, apparently he's a general in the space force. We did uh, learn uh, based on the patches, and I, you know, and Satchel, if you're listening, I saw you earned your Weeblow patch. So congratulations up from Cop Scout uh, Pack Thirty Six Ten Five. You're now a Weeblow. Great job. Uh, no, but you know what he does? He reminded us. Um, we're all focused on attracting and and bringing in new new talent, and you know that's chapter one and two of the story. And everybody wants to run out and help do that. Satchel was reminding us in in there's a there's a chapter five, six, and seven, and that is the development of the workforce. And this is to your point about creating the service culture. It's not enough to just bring people in. When when are we gonna, you know, move to the next chapters and say okay? How do we get together and not just, yes, safety is important and risk is important. And, um, but we've, we've got it. We have the people that we have, we've got to coach them up and train them up. And, and, and it's not just on the, on the, on the process stuff. It's on the soft skills. It's about making those, those visitors, those sponsors feel good about their decision to come to Dallas or come to the show. And, um, if somebody walks off with your box of giveaways, you know, care about that's a big deal. And maybe they don't understand all that goes into the show. But, um, man, if you feel you don't have anything to hand those prospects or those guests when they come in and that's, you know, in your mind, a big part of your strategy. Um, don't blow me off and say go to Kinko's. Right. I, I totally agree with that. So I, I look forward to our stakeholders organizers, generals, EACs, how do we, how do we continue to work together? I, I, I think the exhibitor show, um, I love what they do with their CTSM training program, but they're also creating a track for industry people because they too recognize the challenge with, um, with what we, you and I are talking about right now. So love that we're seeing people put some resources into, but we got to, we got to do it. We can't just talk about it, right? It's time to, time to do it. Chris, let's talk about chapter eight, nine, and 10. Retention. Uh oh. You got door, yeah. you trained yeah. him. Yeah. Well, I right. I just had a conversation with one of my colleagues. A shout out to Mr. Mark Murphy. We just talked about this an hour ago and it wasn't related to this at all. But when people leave, a lot of times it's really simple. They just didn't like working there. And it's not generally not the money. It's They don't notice that as much when they're happy at what they do. And, and so, creating a service culture also helps the most important part retention, right? And we all know the stat, you know, training an employee costs you yada, yada, but retaining an employee, you know, you're saving money. So that has to be the next big part we focus on and burnout's a real thing. I don't have a solution for that here. No big shocker on that. We have a lot of work and not enough people, but retaining them and you can just retain people by creating a service culture where you're in service to the people that you have the honor of working with, and that's how you should see it. We somebody spend wants, more time with. Somebody once told me people don't leave companies, they leave people. 
So if you've so, got a, a supervisor or a boss or a manager that's doesn't see you or is rude to you or isn't isn't investing in you, and um, that's you're right, and they just you're right that turnover comes from just quitting, and a lot of times we don't even investigate why. So I still yeah. feel like we're in recovery on the repopulating our workforce, and that's just not show floor hustle and muscle people. That's, that's all positions at companies. And, um, so this is, this is our, this is our mission. Look, I know we're kind of drifting from the bigger picture of, you know, solving problems in difficult situations. Hello, you asked me at the break and maybe we could ask Julie this as well. Is, you know, is there a great example of, of, you know, a way you said no and created a great outcome or, you know, you, you, you use that empathy we're talking about to solve um, a, a client's problem and you turn them around. And I, because you and I see this all the time in our industry and I, I want to leave people with some, you know, there are some great people that work in this industry. I think uh, the veterans might be tired and exhausted, but they're back and still excited to see this build up. And the new people need to, that are listening need to hear um why why we do it why this is still all worth it and that it can be done when there's there's those challenging situations so any good uh, uh war story you can share where you go yeah man this just happened last month you know anything are you asking me or khalil i'm asking you i'm asking you i'm asking you, you. Oh as i'm from 10 different industries <laughs> yeah i mean literally thousands in it but the biggest part is just relying on that, you know, that first empathy, not being patronizing. So, you know, I can literally think of 20 situations where I walked up and the person's already just angry, you know, whether it's about my trucks in line, my freight didn't get here, et cetera. And hearing them, letting them vent, don't cut them off. Don't do any of those things. Hear them, repeat it back, empathize. When they're talking to you, do not think about what you're going to say back I have a teenage son. This is my number one frustration. Every time I'm talking to him, I know he's not listening. He knows what he's going to say back. He's rehearsing it in his head. Don't do that. People know you're doing that. Genuinely listen and repeat yeah. back. Okay. I understand you're frustrated. You thought your box was going to be here hours ago. It's not here. Here's what we're going to do. Let me check and see where your truck is. Let me check and see how far back that is. Let's set an expectation. So if I know it's going to be a couple hours, go get something to eat, go back to your hotel, go get some work done, take your mind off of this situation. What I'm going to do is I'm going to monitor where that truck is. I'm Give me your cell phone number. I'm going to keep track of when that shipment is going to be here. And that's there are personnel on the show floor that this is their job. And even if there's not, again, top to bottom, create the culture and have the mechanism that you can activate to say, hey, we're having an issue here. But I think the most important thing, set a reasonable expectation provide reasonable options to them. Don't lie. Don't gloss it over. Don't run around like a chicken with your head cut off. Um, I'm trying to think of a really, really good one. And I've spent yeah. half my life in these situations. We had one a couple of months ago and it was, it was, it happened to be on a Sunday on a holiday. It was the last day of move-in. Very large, complex, lots of electronics, not visual. Cat5 cables on a 20 by 40 uh, exhibit space at a tech show. And the CEO of the company came in on that Sunday. And the, his, the customer, that exhibitor, had signed off on the orientation of the booth. But unbeknownst to them, the exhibit hall, the exhibitors on both sides, huge walls, you know, 20 foot, 16, 20 foot high wall. And they wanted their booth 
spot. It was it was a full three days to build to where we were at. And they wanted it turned 90 degrees. And um, we call that being asked to lazy Susan. Right. And that's not an easy thing to do. Um, and the lead man was saying, you know, can't do it. You know, not enough time or whatever. And this guy was just getting hotter and hotter. In the end, by the time I got there, he was at, you know, he was redlined. And, re- and to your point, it really was, let's step aside and listen to him rant all over again. Listen to my guy. And I said, okay, so we have a couple of options. Um, let's run through what they are. One thing we can do is I can have a hanging sign printed to get your name up high above those walls um, without moving things around. He goes, no, we need our reception counter over here. And number two, okay. So there's some components like demo stations we can slide into the aisle, but make no mistake, there are 14 electrical drops in this booth and all of them have to move. So we really have to go down to bare concrete to do this properly for you. There's no, there's no snaking a cord a couple of feet, right? So we're going to have to dismantle a lot and then we're going to have to slide off. It is a holiday. And so we're now at 10 hours today. So it's going to be double time. We could work all night to do this for you. But, um, or, uh, so just know I can, I'll get you what the cost consequences are of doing that. Or, we could move some components like make your reception counter over here where you think will be more of it. We can do this over. So he just needed some options to pick from and a little bit of time to just understand it wasn't going to be what he was hoping and anticipating. And um, ultimately he felt he had a little influence over that. Um, we paid attention and respect to his budget, which was very important to him. Um, he couldn't argue the fact that his own people signed off on that. He just, he wanted us to penalize the exhibitors next to, you know, things, you know, that you just can't do. So anyway, um, we see but that kind you, of happen all the time. You listen to it. You, you heard his goal. You heard like, what is yes. the problem? Why is it a problem? What do you tell me well, what I, you need? So and I by understanding what, that, gave him when, options. When you have that traveling executive that comes in, and they are blindsided with that kind of a change. And they immediately, you know what the workforce personality like of the people that are setting up and dismantling those booths. So when you immediately start yelling and, and going after those individuals, their instinct, the same thing that makes them great at some assembly required and, and the carpentry work, um, their natural instinct isn't to be empathetic and great listeners. Right. So if you're attacking them or it sounds they feel like they're attacked, um, they they very often will respond in an unproductive way. And so that's where leadership gets involved. And, and hopefully we get there before it's beyond uh, control. And the one thing you hope for that can make it all better is if they do have a great show and get tons of leads and sign a big deal and do all that stuff. Um, all of a sudden that that goes a long way to put the, you know, the pain of the. Of the, of the headaches um, in the rearview mirror because now they're focused on really what they should be and that's coming out of the show. Yeah. What I like about that example is that it's a it's a service mindset, but it's also you've taken an opportunity where it could have been a customer concession. We've talked about that a little bit in the Grow With No episode, but you could have gone and said, okay, yeah, you're right, we need to do that. But instead of it just doing it for free, you gave them the options and you let them know that there were consequences to certain options that would be a 
not be a concession for you, but you would actually charge for that option. And I think that's where people get stuck with the service where they may not want to serve because they feel like it's going to cost them a little bit more. They're going to lose money on the job now because they didn't, they're going to have to put so much labor into this and not actually make any more money on it. Um, and so I, I think that's a customer concessions has to be understood that, yeah, we can give options, but we also need to be adequately charging for the service that we're providing. Julie, for the new people that are listening, that are new to the industry in the last couple of years, I'm sitting here thinking about what can you be doing to limit these moments where you end up with these really tough situations. And the few things I jotted down and I'd love to hear you add to it is one, I think you and I, you know, stakeholder cooperation, right? The more the different, the, the generals and the, and, the, and the EAC contractors and the labor companies and the specialty support, the more we're, that we, we can embrace the spirit of oneness in delivering that great experience. And we're not playing gotcha and finger pointing. Um, and I'm not saying, you know, one, a company does not, but I think new people will do that when they're feeling attacked. Stakeholder cooperation is one. Um, I would remind people, personal relationships matter, right? My relationship with the guy working door three in, in, in Central Hall at the Las Vegas Convention Center will go a long way if I just need to get a truck you know, hustled along or make sure somebody's paying attention to that. So personal relationships, I think, matter. Standards of behavior matter. And I think the more that we make empathy part of the discussion about a standard of behavior, I think the better off we're, we're all being. I think over-preparing helps. We hear a lot of our uh, exhibit house partners when they, you know, we, we roll into an event. We were just at one yesterday in Orlando at the Carib Royale. And the guys look like the 82nd Airborne with stacks of ladders and job boxes rolling in. And the, the uh, exhibit house rep goes, is, is this all for my stuff, my build? And we said, nope, only about half of it is. Well, what's the rest of it? He goes, hopefully that's the stuff we're not going to need. And hopefully you never find out how good we really are, you know, because, <laughs> because experience has taught you the kinds of things that might come up. And you just know that in a tight move in, you know, there's just not time for that. So I think over-preparing helps. What else do you think is good advice for new people um, just to, to help limit um, those situations that can get, we know they're going to show up missing graphic box, um, delayed freight shipment, but what can we be doing uh, to, to prepare and, and, and make sure those things just don't really become explosive problems? I mean, it, it goes back to that old, you know, everything I need to know I learned in kindergarten kind of thing, like treat people with respect. You said it about the guy at the door, but I think it's funny because sometimes people think I do treat everybody with respect. I gave that guy, blah, blah, blah. No, treat everybody the same. And, and I, I'm going to go back and put my four seasons hat on. I learned this there too. You didn't know who the person in front of you was. They could be a multi-bazillionaire author that goes unknown, that is, you know, known by everybody there, but unknown in person, or somebody who's dressed to the nines who you wonder if they're, you know, somebody you're supposed to know and treat as a VIP and they're just a regular Joe. So you learn very quickly that it doesn't matter what somebody's wearing, what they look like, where they're at, you treat everybody the same. That is that is who you are as a person and it needs to be who everybody is. Somebody doesn't get 
extra respect because they're wearing different pants than you. Treat them all the same. Treat them with respect. Say hi to the people. Be kind. And they will remember that. Um, okay. I'm thinking about your, okay, kindergarten, kindergarten. So I'm um, note to file job box needs to include trans and uh, animal crackers. <laughs> right, that's, that's not a bad idea. Having not a bad idea on some shows. Is, Right. So the other part is be a Swiss army knife, be your own Swiss army knife. Absolutely. I don't want to, I never want to hear that. You know, there's a reason I've never in my life asked to talk to a manager because the person I'm already talking to, to your point, represents the entire organization. Nothing's going to change when I get a manager, nor should it, nor do I care. I have already decided I'm not working with you again if I need to talk to the manager and I'm just removing myself from the situation. Well, what's going to come? You're going to listen to me yell for what? For mm -hmm. what? So be a Swiss army knife and empower your people to handle the situation. And to your point, uh, Khalil, that doesn't mean you have to give it away for free. That shouldn't be your go-to. Assess the situation, provide yeah. options, carry, follow it through. Don't dismiss them. Don't pass them off. And it, don't go into it going, well, now we have to give this away for free. Just because there's a problem doesn't actually mean that you're wrong. Now don't go pointing that out. Just be the solution provider and empower your staff to provide options. And they're going to make mistakes along the way. Don't beat your staff up for doing so. Coach them for how you want them to handle it next time. And they're going to be even stronger in that situation. I, I've recently taken on a couple new teammates. And, you know, the one was really nervous when something went wrong. And I was like, oh, so first of all, in a good day, nobody dies at what we do. We've all made it through. If way you don't to make set a the bar. Way to set the bar at, you know, curb level. No one dies. Not three. You know, like we will survive. And the funny part was that it was for an event that we were hosting. So to a room of contractors and suppliers, I said, and it was a shipping situation. I said, the funny thing is, if I stand on that stage and tell them all that the awards aren't here because you chose ground shipping, I said, they're all going to laugh and understand why, because they've all been there. You're going to, you know. But I guarantee you're never going to pick that shipping method again, are you? You know, we're going to work through it. So allowing mistakes to happen, allowing people to learn from them, empowering them, letting them know, you know, again, you mentioned skilled labor, right? That they're, they might immediately react instead of having that service culture. Well, they spend years going to trade school to learn their trade, to learn those skills, right? And I and not in all unions is service a part of that trade school. So it's not that they're not capable. So that's why it's important to have those conversations, whether you're a contractor, uh, ECA, an association, to let everybody know your service expectation. And again, it's free. And if you having a five-minute conversation makes one person change how they handle a situation, you won. It's easy. It's free, I, and it I love, pays dividends. I love, I love your story a minute ago about the awards not showing up. Because nobody screwed up. You were just delivering an experiential event, right? You just you wanted them to experience the same thing. The that's what I told them. I'm like, okay, there's 80 ways I'm going to pivot in this situation. That's right. We'll be fine. If this is the worst that happens, I said, will there be alcohol? She was like, yes, we definitely have alcohol. I'm like, okay. I said, if you had to ask people which they prefer, awards or alcohol, I know where we're going with this. So <laughs> well, Khalil is, Khalil is my resident science monitor. Whenever he gets um, two students in the lab, like you and I, 
that are well caffeinated and running with scissors, <laughs> one holding the bottle of Pepsi, the other, the roll of Mentos, trying to keep us from, you know. So I'm going to, I always turn to him as we, as we wrap and go, man, as, as the guy listening, Khalil, what, what's the, what's the takeaways? What are the things worth punching that you heard Absolutely. when we're, you know, when we're talking about um, difficult situations and solving problems? What are we, what yeah. should we be reminding people about? Really boils down to one point, and that is uh, go to your local Four Seasons and hire anybody who's on staff, and that is your new training program. It's our program. pleasure to serve you, right? Isn't that the catchphrase? I know we're at time, but I have a fun story. It's really short. Go ahead. That's go ahead. how I'm in this industry. The Four Seasons, I was at just one best hotel in the world, I think it was, for the fourth year running, and somebody from one of the contractors called me and said, hey, you... You dealt with one of our executives and they had a great experience. I came to find out later, they just wanted somebody with a service-minded focus. So they lied to me, got me into the interview and, you know, just said, we just, we wanted somebody that can, can change and turn this. And they did it all from the guy was at the dentist office and read a copy of the magazine, blindly calls and gets me. But so there you go. Hire from without the industry as well. And you're <laughs> going to have a plethora of skills. Yes, absolutely. In all seriousness, I think at the end of the day, um, seeing service as a differentiator is really going to benefit you in the long run. It's not only going to help you run a more meaningful company for you and your employees, but it's also going to help you serve clients better and get more business um, from it. Uh, we've talked about USP in previous episodes. That's a really great one to have in the industry. Um, we've talked about the importance of really just the core values and behaviors and habits of listening and empath empathizing with whoever it is, whether it's an employee, because you're the leader I, I, on your team, or it's with the customer. Um, at the end of the day, you need to make people feel like they're not alone. And if you help them to feel like they are seen, heard, and understood, then they're likely to be along the ride with you and feel much, much more comfortable of doing business with you, have a better experience, uh, enjoy working with you more, et cetera, et cetera. Um, also, just like I try to give my two-year-old options when she's throwing a fit, uh, you should give all of your employees and your uh, your customers options. They want to be able to have a say in what's going on. They want to feel like they are valued. Um, and so giving those options makes it valuable. Now, when you're giving those options, sometimes there are other con uh, costs incurred for some of those options. You shouldn't just you know, eat the bill. I mean, I'm sure there are certain situations where you truly did mess up and it's it's your mistake. But for the most part, you need to make sure that you're not conceding, right? You're serving, not conceding, and that you are charging for the extra work that you are doing. Um, lastly, I think something that we really haven't said, but it really goes to the people that are leaders out there, is that it starts from the top down and you have to embody all of these um, values and behaviors for your employees. Uh, just like the saying, hurt people, hurt people. There are people that are, you know, in a good place and treating people, treating others well, those people will then go on to treat others well as well. So it all, it's, you don't expect to treat your people poorly and then for them to go and serve with grace and humility. You have to have grace and humility for your employees to then go and uh, serve them. And that's really kind of the foundation of a service culture. So I think this has been a great episode. It's been a pleasure to to talk with you, Julie. Thank you for being on Experience Builders. Um, and maybe we'll have you on again sometime. Yeah, thanks for having I want you to hang out with me all the time and just summarize what just happened in my life. <laughs>
whether it's a board meeting or whatnot, like that was brilliant. Thank you. And thanks for Absolutely. having me. No, we appreciate you, you joining us at Experience Builders, Julia. This is great. Yeah. And I know we'll have you back right, for sure. So look forward to Absolutely. working with you. I'm, am I going to see you in Nashville at the uh, Exhibitor Live show? Or Tootsies. Yes, I'll be there. Of is course, that like I'll a be there. Safety meeting. Got a safety yeah, meeting safety. password? Okay. Yep. Well, at um, <laughs> Rock's rooftop. We'll meet you right. there. Well, we'll, well talk we, safety. We, we appreciate everybody tuning in for this episode. Thank you again to Julie Keggy, our guest on this. Khalil, you always do a great job quarterbacking us. Anything uh, else? We just dropped another episode earlier, didn't we? Was there something we, we did? One, one went out, um, but we have one coming up after this episode. People can look forward to uh, on harmonizing your sales and production. So that'll be an exciting one. And uh, yeah, please, please subscribe on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you follow. Uh, we'd love to hear from you as well. If you leave us a review or send us a message in the show notes, you can click a link and let us know what you want to talk about next on our show. So thanks for listening. Thanks. Have so. a great time. See you guys in the next one. Thanks for listening to the Experience Builders Podcast. Check out our website in the show notes or visit crewxp.com to learn more.